Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast, and you can listen to the latest podcast there or wherever else you are listening to them. You can listen to them as well. Uh, a couple of house cleaning things really quick. Number one, um, I mentioned, uh, geez, a, a few episodes back that sea otter had changed, uh, the course for, and if those that don't know what sea otter is, uh, it's a big mountain bike festival or just bike festival because there's a lot of road racing, mountain biking of all things going on. And it's kind of like a mini interbike for the industry, but everyone's really happy to be there and riding their bikes in California instead of just in a casino in Vegas. So really cool place. They have a mountain bike race. That's traditionally a really long course and it's not very fun for a cross country. Not a lot of people like it cause it's mostly just fire road. In fact, you climb up single track and descend fire road, which really doesn't sound fun, but they said that they were going to change that for cat ones. And when I registered, it said cat ones get to ride the pro course, which is like a normal short, awesome course. They've changed it back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't want to mislead anybody and get anybody's hopes up for sea otter pro life tip. John, just say I was wrong. I was wrong because that's with, and if you're married, like I am (laughs) all the time, Yeah. just as soon as you do it, say I was wrong because they will, and then write it down. Yeah. Cause you'll say it 18 times in a (laughs) month, but then they'll say, you'll never say you're wrong. Yeah. This is probably a, that's probably more information everyone needed, not about cycling, but it's a good life tip. (laughs) Just say I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Never be afraid to admit you were wrong. I was wrong too. I did something bad. <laughs> you did. Yes, he did. Some people got really mad. I ate on the last pe- po- the last podcast. The mm-hmm. reason was I took those pills because of my broken shoulder, and it was on an empty stomach. We did two, yeah. pos- ba- two podcasts back-to-back, and I was felt like I was going to throw up. So I ran out and grabbed a little bar, and I thought I ate far enough away from the mic, but I didn't. Mm. We got hate mail. Probably oh, the most disturbing thing I've, <laughs> any of us have ever done on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I didn't listen to it, but some I- Some pretty, yeah, yeah. Some, some vitriol in there. So, so I ate more before this, and I have not any pills either, so- I'm fasted right now, so, but safe, I will not eat. Safe to say it won't happen again. Yeah. Jonathan might pass out, but that's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as you don't eat. Yeah. And just, just something to-, to clarify too really quick on the sea otter thing um if you do like that if you're looking for a first mountain bike race that's like a perfect race Mm. if you're looking for a first one you're in the west coast so because now with this course because it's just like i said it's like fire roads so cool it's still pretty technical the early section uh yeah it's got some stuff in it i mean there are sections that are made technical just by speed on a fire road Mm. right because a fire road it's kind of misleading. A lot of people think that just because it's not narrow, it's not technical, but usually fire roads mean more speed and less traction because it's usually like a a hard surface. So (laughs) it's just technical technical in a different different way. way. I would rather Um, do a mountain bike course where I'm going eight miles per hour and there's some rocks and it's technical than like a 30, 40 mile per hour downhill that's on a fire road. Yeah. Yeah. Less opportunity for injury. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like speed. So let's get into some questions, though. Uh, Jacob, he says, Nate, sorry to hear about your injury. I had a similar experience with my ankle, and I've never really been able to get my mental edge back. Are you going to do anything to mentally recover from your mishap, shiny side up? And I I bring this in because we actually got a number of people just um, talking about the mental aspect that we discussed last time, Mm -hmm. and they really liked that. So Mm. let's apply it to your situation. Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I've only had one other good, like good as in big road crash. And I actually didn't get back on the bike for like on the road, I think for eight months, it happened in fall. 
And then I just like stayed indoors and I didn't go out, I think for that next year. So maybe more wow. than eight months. And was that just a, was that a, why Crossed was that? wheels. Like I, w- I was drafting someone and then they, they like swerved and they pushed my front wheel out. Oh yeah. And, and so why did you not, why did you wait for a year? Was there any, well, I didn't want to crash again. That was it. Crashing right? sucks. Was the, so the fear, but I'm actually it. less fearful. It's weird with this one. Hmm. And I feel like this one, they, they talk about, I've read some stuff about this. If there's a reason. So like if someone like is a drunk driver and they go out and they do it, cause an accident or they even kill someone, it's easier for them mentally to get over that because they say, ah, oh, there was a reason. I was drunk driving, and if I don't mm-hmm. drunk drive again, this won't happen. This yeah. reason, I'm like, it was Chico. If I don't do a dirt gravel race where there's potholes everywhere. And other riders. Yeah, it's it's likely not to happen again. But if it's just something out of the blue, like someone's driving along and like their wheel falls off, mm-hmm. right? And then they, they go and have a crash. They have no control over that, and then they yes. get this like, paralyzing fear. Mm-hmm. Just like if you had a bad mechanical and your handlebars broke, yeah. I would be scared to death yeah. all the time. So you need mm-hmm. to be able to rationalize it. Exactly. It yeah. to something that very I specific. can fix it. Yeah. Um, although yeah. my wife has talked to me a lot, she is really upset about it and mm-hmm. she doesn't want me to road race ever again. Mm-hmm. She wants me to do, well, she wants me to do anything, but I, I'm like, I can do time trials. Cyclocross yeah. is relatively safe besides cross Reno. Mountain bikes. Some mountain biking, some some mountain biking, yeah, um, is the, is relatively safe. And we've talked about that before. And, and I know mountain biking probably seems really dangerous to a lot of people, and it can be for sure. But the nice thing about mountain biking is your margin of error. Like you kind of have a little bit of forgiveness to work with in terms of traction. You can lose it, but still keep things upright. Or you can you don't just door slam onto hard pavement, you know, in in an instant. So and it's really the uh, where you're mountain biking. Yeah, that's too. and how you're riding it. Right? Yeah, yeah. How you're that's a big point too. How you're riding it. Um, triathlons, there's barely any crashes in that. You can stay away from people, and I feel like the crashes in triathlon are people's own faults who don't haven't ridden in arrow bars, aren't paying attention. They're trying to grab something out of yeah. out of like a pocket while an arrow while going thirty miles, not thirty, but anything. You know. But but a crash like that it just kind of shifts your perspective a bit, and you it forces reprioritization. Sometimes you have to decide: is this still as important to me as it was when I was twenty five? Now that I'm thirty five or forty five, and have you know people who care about me? Um, just it, it's just a little bit of revaluing what's important to you. So now I have that sweet venge on the way that I'm waiting for, <laughs> which is a for people who don't know it's an arrow race bike, and I'm like it was, I got it just to race, mm-hmm. and now Chad got a Trek. What is it? Domain Domani Domani, mm-hmm. which is like <clears throat> an in I would call it like an endurance bike, endurance race bike. Um, and I'm With like- the SLR geometry though, right? Like a more racy stuff? Yeah, I'm still trying to, yeah, exactly. I, I still have it set up a little bit wrong, but it's, it's meant for it's like- It's a speedy bike. It's, gonna, it's a speedy bike, but it's comfortable on a long day. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking- well, I know with disc brakes, I feel comfortable riding around mm. in certain areas in Reno for a long day. And now I've got this super harsh aero bike, <laughs> and I'm like, I should have gone with the Trek. Like, uh, you know what I mean? If I'm not going to do road races it's, with I it. I mean, it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, the one thing that I, and perhaps this is individual, but the one thing that... I've always noticed is number one, I always search for some type of a cause for whatever accident I had. And then I, I maybe less than, and it is rationalizing, but I try to form a plan about how I'm going to change or improve or avoid that. Hmm. And then I, that helps me combat the fear that I might have in coming back, which is helpful. But I also noticed that we are forgetful in the sense that as time moves on, we tend to forget 
the severity of the impact or that emotion that we have tied to that moment tends to drop off. It'll come back and bite us at certain moments on the bike, right? But uh, at least it gets us out there. So that's one thing too is time isn't necessarily a healer, but time does kind of give it enough, you know. You, yeah, you know it could go both ways. Too yep. much time and you just, the well, fear just mounts. Mm-hmm. I was going to say is the other part is getting back on the saddle as quickly as possible. Yeah, as cliche as it is, you got to get back on that horse. I mean, yeah. it sounds trite, but it's, it's accurate. If you want to beat it. Um, mm-hmm. For the mental part though, like not having that fear, like I don't have the fear. Um, I, last time I crashed big was like four years ago mm-hmm. and I don't have the fear of being like drafting right. anymore that I did before on that. Right. But I, I mean, honestly too, I, I haven't road raced a lot, but my passion right now is more in cross and mountain biking, mm-hmm. maybe even cross most. And I think that cross has the least, mm-hmm. besides cross Reno. Right. Because the cross Reno has this crazy like uh, flyover. Not anymore. They took yeah. it out. They're they're changing it. They're not. Yeah. It's not going to be as stark a transition. But some people know it's like it. The the cross on the flyover oh. and a flyover is this thing where they they build this structure so that courses. Um, it's can like cross. an over under bridge. Yeah, you it's like an overpass. Over, yep, exactly. Yeah. An overpass. Yep. And the the um the, the incline was so severe on both sides. The trans people, yeah the, the transition, transition into it was just like nearly. It, it had it, to be like fifty degrees. I mean, it was. It was my pedal instant. would hit at the top. Yeah. So that's how. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. And then one guy, he he took it so hard that I think he flew over the middle section. And he hit his head and was knocked out and had to go to the hospital. One woman drove her face right into the up ramp. <laughs> Just terrible. Yeah, same yeah, thing. So, so, but at right. Cross, Cross Vegas, those look scary, but those were uh, much like smoother half the, awesome. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that they're taking that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in general, Cross has low um, consequences. Yes. Like we've heard on the mud one, I think, I don't even know how many times I crash anymore, but. You're on, you're on grass. Been, the speeds yeah, are rela- usually the speeds are low. Like, yeah, not to say you can't get hurt, but the likelihood of getting seriously injured. Di- is, the likelihood of dying is extremely oh, low, and that's and, the dying of paralyzed is the big thing. If I break another collarbone, it's it's gonna suck, but it's not like you know, yeah, yeah. getting it's not a like head a head injury or a yeah. spinal injury at forty miles an hour. Yeah, if it's if it's a, a race on grass and I'm going relatively slow, eight yeah. miles per hour. That's yeah. kind of like running, right? So you fall running, like you can hurt yourself, but it's yeah, not like a thirty mile per hour crash, right? Yeah, yeah. It's cyclocross could be a really good way for roadies to get back into things, or or anybody. Um, just fine in general. It just it's, but it'd be a good way for them to kind of work on that fear, right? Because chances are, too, in cyclocross, you'll have like a little tip over, you'll have to unclip, and you'll realize that it's that you were okay after doing I, that. I have no fear and, of crashing across. I've just it's right. like expected. It's it doesn't. Two, when I've done it, it doesn't even hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Reno one says, um, I actually did crash in Reno and that's hurt, but that's because it's on like hard like pack with mountain loose. Mountain bike courses. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's mountain bike courses because yeah. it's yeah. got to be gnarly if it's in Reno. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the Sacramento that. ones that are in parks and stuff, mm. yeah. it literally does not hurt at, at all. It Cro- just, Cross Vegas was probably the first best cyclocross race ever because it was all grass, the whole <laughs> yeah. thing. You just can't get hurt. And you fell yeah. and it was, yeah. it's more I like- I pretty hard and bounced right back up and kept racing. Yeah. It's more like I'm mad because I lost 10 seconds. And that's not like, oh, like in a road race, you crash yeah. and you're like, okay, I don't want to do anything mm-hmm. now. Someone so, drive me home. So getting back to the mental recovery, that sounds like kind of a good strategy for you too, Nate, right? Like, you know, putting in, even though it isn't cross season, if you did have issues with any type of like fear that you encountered on the road, you could maybe go back to riding some cross and kind of address yeah. those. I know? don't see before too, the, with uh, road stuff, we don't have a bunch of sanctioned road events in Reno. So every road event I have to drive to 
California. Yeah, we have a lot of unsanctioned road events. Yeah, but yeah. And we have a couple, but not much. Mm-hmm. My my passion though, right now, like I said, is in cross, and those I do, I can tr- I can travel to Sacramento, mm-hmm. which is like a two hour drive. So with with all the things I'm gonna I'm gonna ride still, but I don't see a whole bunch of road racing like this next year. Mm-hmm. I see a whole bunch of mountain biking and a whole bunch of cross. Yeah. Which doesn't that sound fun? Sounds like, yeah. That sounds, sounds like, like a great time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like the time trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, which helps on both of those disciplines huge. Yeah. So. And time trials are, are fun and those are very, like, you got to really be. Yeah. You get to show it's people how fast you actually are. Right. But I mean, um, as in for crashing. Oh, yeah. Like, man, you crash in a time trial. It's only you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go into Kevin's question. He says, Hey guys, I've been using trainer road since September of last year and it's been a great, it's been great so far. My fitness was fading at the end of the summer going into my first cyclocross race season and jumping into the short power build helped for sure. And if those that don't know, that's our, that's a training plan that we have for, uh, to kind of raise your FTP, that build, build phase that we're talking about. And that one focuses on short durations that you have to dole out over and over again. So he says, after cyclocross, I jumped right into sweet spot base one and two high volume. We discussed those kind of ad nauseum, but those are our, one of our base plans that are really uh, that are really frequently used. It's our go-to base plan. Indeed. And he says, an FTP has gone from 270 to 300. Nice work, Kevin. He says, very happy about that. Just started a general build high volume plan, and uh, I'm happy to be seeing more higher intensity efforts in the mix already. Um, so Kevin reaches out to us, I'm going to summarize a bit, um, about his first drop ride of the year and he got dropped. So he's been, you know, following his workouts, um, sticking to things and he went outside and he got dropped. He says, I'm feeling a little disappointed as I've been working so hard and know my FTP is higher than ever, but got dropped quickly at a high intensity with guys that I know I haven't, or that I know haven't been on the trainer six days a week. Like I have. He then mentions that everything he thinks is in check in terms of like nutrition and hydration. Uh, he said he didn't feel like he was overworked or anything coming into it. And then he says, is it simply that my body just isn't used to these kind of efforts yet, even though my FTP is way up? I'm worried all my hard work on the trainer isn't going to pay off outdoors and in the first few spring races. Is this normal for the phase of training I'm in? And I put this in here because I think that it's a, it can be a common concern for some people when they are just like, if they're new to it and then they go outside and it can be a bit of a shock to the system mm-hmm. once you start riding with racers. Yeah, so to summarize this, um, this is going to sound kind of bad. So you were doing sweet spot base, long base intervals. Mm-hmm. You did a drop ride with people who haven't been doing that. And they probably did 30 seconds extremely hard and you got dropped, but you haven't really done that at all since yeah. September. And it doesn't even mean that you can't do those sort of efforts. Mm. I mean, when it comes to riding indoors and then transitioning to outdoors, and now you're subject to everybody else's actions. So if, if you're not on it, if you're not watching and you know, just a two second gap opens up and you have to close it and then another one happens, I mean, it's just, it's, it's reactive racing as opposed to what you were doing, which was solely conditioning. That's one aspect of it. Um, and, and yeah, maybe you're not accustomed to those particular types of efforts, but the fact is you can probably still do them. It's just an acclimation to that, that group environment. Yeah. That's one thing that I've always noticed is that there's, there's also a mental aspect to this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about preparing yourself for the effort ahead and knowing what it's going to feel like or, or assuming what it's going to feel like and preparing yourself for that. And I think that, uh, it's key to know that when you go into a, a drop ride or a hammer fest or whatever else you want to call it, a chain gang or a race, it's going to hurt in a very unique way, right? Because basically it's going to throw 
punches at you when you don't feel like you can take another punch. Yeah, and that's uh, to further that point. I've gone into first drop right of the season, same scenario, high fitness, kind of cocky, thinking, you know, I'm going to go out here and, and, and stomp these boys today. And the fact uh, is, they end up they <laughs> end up hurting bottoms. But sorry, bottoms. There's they kids end, in the end car. Up, I bleeped it. Don't worry. Okay, We're cool. good. Um, they end up they end up hurting me because I just I don't know for some reason assumed that I was going to be able to do more or that I was going to be just vastly more fit than they were and even if I was uh, they still can, can can put the hurt on you they can put you in situations that you're not accustomed to or that you, maybe you're just not in that mindset you're not ready to work that hard or hurt that bad and here's what I found with that that exact thing because I think that we've all felt it at one time or another it changes so quickly you do one, two, three of those rides and suddenly oh, yes, you are exactly. able to use all that fitness you've built up. It just takes a little while for you for, to perhaps mentally adapt. It takes a lot while for you to get your your strategy set again too. You know, I, I always notice that when I come back into riding with a group after not doing it for a while, whether it's in the middle of summer or middle of winter, doesn't matter when it is, uh, I always find that I need to kind of sharpen that blade again. And I need to read the pack better and I need to be proactive about mm -hmm. preparing myself exactly. for things, you know, and just paying attention, watching for the the little hits that are going to come. Cause like I yeah. said, just, just a little bit of complacency and then just a little bit of extra effort on your part can, can kind of take your head out of the game, take your body out of the game a bit. Yeah. You're just knocking rust off that, off that tactical blade and perhaps the mental blade, but you've got a seriously well-prepared and sharpened fitness blade that's going to help out. You just have to give it a little bit. Well, too, I'd argue that if he was in like in the middle or at the end of uh specialty rolling road mm. race, oh, yeah. it yeah. would have been very easy. different situation. Like, different story. Especially with high volume sweet spot base, mm -hmm. he's doing lots yeah, of like doing a sweet spot. 90 and 95. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense that um, your body's not like ready for yep. 130 or 140% of FTP. Like that would hurt a little bit extra. Right. But like right. you said, it comes back and it's, it's early in the season. So just stick to the plan. Yeah. And how it, it works like- with research, VO2 max intervals have about a six-week benefit before they start to taper off. So that's why we have this period of, periodized strategy, and you can't just do VO2 max all year round. Mm -hmm. So these guys might be doing VO2 max now, and they're kind of primed for it, but you're kind of building this bigger base. So when you do VO2 max, your FTP is you know 300, so it's 30 watts higher than 270, or maybe by then it'll be 320. Okay. So it's you know it's 50 watts higher, yeah, so and shorter, then you put it on top of that. That shorter, harder stuff just builds, if you if you will, just short, high, uh, pitchy peaks. So mm -hmm. really high peaks, but they're short lived. Mm -hmm. You are going to start to come along, and and your peak's going to be broader, longer lasting, but still the same same height, same intensity. You know, it's going to be awesome too. Is uh, something that I've always noticed as a benefit once I get into like the build phase and everything else. I have the race craft and the, the, the power and whatever else I need to be able to stick with a move. But then after that, I feel like I can just hold on and, and hold that power on. And I can yeah. really, cause a lot of guys that, I mean, cause it's common, you know, I've, I saw it the other day, somebody called it Strava, Strava Vols, I think, which is basically like just going out and chasing KOMs. Right. And that's like what they do. And a lot of people do that year round. And like we just talked about that, the diminishing returns that you get and even the increasing mm -hmm. fatigue that you get from that with time, you'll get guys that are still going to throw huge, heavy punches in a group ride, but they won't have that, that base to call upon to actually make that move stick. And you are building up in a very progressive yeah, way. I'm, You're I'm excited it. for you, Kevin. You got some fun racing ahead of you. Mm -hmm. It's also like, you know, year after year, if you go period, a periodized 
training plan. Yeah, yeah um, where you you keep raising that FTP, mm-hmm. and then the guys that aren't doing that and just doing group rides all the time mm-hmm. and kind of always working VO two max and anaerobic, you're going to start beating them. The other yeah. thing I want to say is too, just because you go to drop ride and these guys haven't been on the trainer, it still doesn't mean that they're not faster than you. Yep. So like, mm-hmm. just because you're not on the trainer doesn't mean you're faster. So there's there's guys obviously who've never ridden a trainer who are at five watts per kilo. Yep. And if I've been doing all this trainer stuff and raise my FTP and I go drop right with them, but you're at four point five watts per kilo, <laughs> they're going to beat you no matter what. Yep. 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 So it's it's an effective, efficient way to train. But it just be, don't think like I have this magical thing that now no one can beat me unless they're on the trainer. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just some people too with great genetics. They have a, yeah. yeah. High VO2 max. and But you're doing the right thing to get closer to them. Exactly, yep. Yeah, that's the key. Uh, Hopefully you surpass them too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so keep us, Kevin, when you make a throw a punch and you drop some fools, let us know. <laughs> some fools. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> Implying he's a fool right now. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not at all. Just a saying. Uh, Peter, he says, when I'm doing sweet spot work, example given, three by 10 minutes, uh, I find that I need to get out of the saddle to hit my number. And he's when he says my number, he's talking about his, his power target. Uh, cadence drops from 90 to 60 from sitting to standing. Is this bad for my training? Should I be trying to stay in the saddle if the overall goal is to increase my FTP? Yeah, basically you want to cultivate the sort of power you're going to utilize in the, in the ways that you're going to utilize it. So if you're using that as a crutch in order to get your watts up to where they're supposed to be, and I'm a little reluctant to say that's where they're supposed to be if you can't do it while seated. Um, something's going on there. But the fact is, occasionally relying on out of the saddle work to to elevate your watts or maybe you know just hang in there for the last minute of a long interval or to up your watts for a short, hard interval is one thing. But relying on it all the time just to maintain threshold wattage is a little worrisome. I would argue that getting out of the saddle for a lot of people is purely mental. Mm-hmm. This is actually yeah. harder... It's like a, there's a, it's a bigger physiological yes. pull in your body. It's yeah. less efficient to get out of you the saddle. you got more muscle working. You're not moving as smoothly. You're, yep. you're, your weight's now more people on your legs and feet than on your butt. People don't mm-hmm. think that, though. They think, oh, I'm now using my weight to push down the pedals. You're not because you physics, you're not moving up. Yeah. You're not moving. You're not like. And then you have to stabilize that. You're yeah. holding your whole body up. It's yeah, even, so, the, even the best climbers in the world sacrifice some efficiency when they come up out of the saddle. Then, and I think when they do it, too. My personal opinion is they would be there. There's some stretching and stuff that happens, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. people like Froome, unless you're really trying to do a break, it's typically about more power. If well, it's not about more power, then you're probably wasting short, it. Short exactly. durations. To, yep. So it's so when Froome does it, who he he um, he gets out of the saddle to break like a rubber band to yeah. put out like snap 900 it. watts, yeah. and, then and it's less in. efficient in that time. But then when he's actually going up, he's sitting there being efficient in and, the sa- uh, yeah, yeah in the saddle. You know, one thing with this too, I can understand getting out of the saddle for, um, for comfort reasons. You mentioned like stretching your back if you just feel like you need to, cause I know with sweet spot work a lot of the time, cause keep in mind, sweet spot work shouldn't be like pushing you to the point where you're like to a point of exhaustion. Yeah. Um, that's and something I want to talk about in a second too. Yeah. Sometimes I, I just get out of the saddle, but I'm talking like one, two, three pedal strokes and I'm back in mm-hmm. if I or just your, feel like I your bottom to. might hurt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really, it's but. just the comfort issue. That's the only reason why I would stand there, but it just just one thing with this too, with standing out of the saddle, it can be when you're standing and you're pedaling like that, it, you really, if you're not Considor and bless Considor's heart, somehow he's made his way, he's made, made it work, right? I'm super good at it. Um, but for the, mo- for the majority of us, we should be looking at how to really be as efficient as possible. Yeah. yeah and I just want to say before Chad talks about Sweet Spot, people are probably screaming, but all these other climbers climb out of the saddle mm-hmm. and I don't know this for sure. 
But I would argue that I bet you if they hooked him up to machines, that they are less efficient measurably when he's out of the saddle than when he's in the saddle. It just makes so much physical sense that you see him moving his whole body. Then someone might say they're recruiting more muscles, but if you're recruiting more muscles, you're using more, more yeah, energy, oxygen, energy, whatever yeah. it is, oxygen, um, fat, or uh, fat, sugar, I, doesn't so matter. They can measure efficiency in cyclists, and mm-hmm. I don't know if there's be, maybe there is a study, yeah, uh, that we put, could look put up them in, but, a, in a chamber and actually measure, you know, direct calor, calorimetry and, and see. But, but I bet you too, people who have done it a lot, like Conchador, mm-hmm. the difference is going to be less. Oh, his someone's, his climbing efficiency is. Far greater than to a just than any of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. and probably more than Peter too. But but Peter, back to the the sweet spot intervals in particular, and you're talking about ten minute intervals. Those can grind you down, and you might not have the level of endurance right now. So so you know your threshold is what it is, and you can stay there for a couple minutes at a time. But when you start to falter, that's when you do one of those quick uh, backpedal breaks and then get back in it because chances are you've got the the power, you just don't have the endurance quite yet. So that endurance may come with time. So you're three minutes into it and you're starting to drag backpedal for 10, 15 seconds, then get back into it, get your cadence back up to where it should or where you want it, you know, 90-ish, power's back on target, and then hold on to that for as long as you can, starts to fade. You take another one of those backpedals, but over time, you'll be able to string all that together such that a 10-minute interval is one 10-minute continuous interval. What if during that same time, instead of doing the backpedals, he just goes out of the saddle for like 20 sure, seconds. Sure, if that, and that helps works. You, if that helps you rekindle yeah. a bit. Like I'm thinking, I spend all my time on an ergo trainer and when I get out of the saddle and then return to the saddle, there's kind of a, a an extra bit of resistance that you have mm-hmm. to, you have to bring Break things back in line this. and that can crush you if you're already yeah. struggling. But so for what Peter's doing, what we're not recommending is for the whole 10 minute interval, he can't do it unless he's out of the saddle. And that's, there's a problem. Yeah, there, or if you're right? looking at like five minutes in, I just got to stay, I, I have to stay standing for the rest of this interval yeah, to yeah. hit my power target. That shouldn't be the but goal. But if you're just Maybe gradually fading, and, and, and I know how that goes, you, you start the first three or four minutes fine, and then the next three minutes are a real struggle, and then the last three minutes, you're just hanging in there. Those last three minutes can be more productive if you just give yourself some form of break, whether it's out of the saddle, a backspin, but something that changes things up, rekindles your cadence and gets your power back where it's supposed to be. I do, just to harp on this a little more, there is, I think a mental benefit though, if you're, let's say every three minutes, he goes, I'm going to be out of the saddle for 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And he does that. And it, and that lets you let get me, farther mentally. Let me explain my favorite coping mechanism these days is to take any Beer. interval, whether it's, <laughs> it's in general, yeah. <laughs> but, but on the bike, every, I, I do what are called for, I call them 40, 20. So at the top of each minute, I'll get out of the saddle for 20 seconds and then I sit for 40. And then I'm out of the saddle for 20 seconds and then I sit for 40. And that not only gets me a little more engaged, but when I sit, I know I only have to be there for 40 seconds before I change it up again. And I can kill 15 minute intervals like that. Whereas if I stayed seated for a five minute interval, it would seem interminable. Yeah, sometimes it can. I, I do, I mix in a good amount of standing because of mountain biking. And mountain biking, a lot of the time, the reason that you're standing, oh, sorry, go ahead, Nate. Okay, next, I'm going to take the next question, but you go. Okay. Because uh, I have a question now. Okay, yeah. So I, I use standing quite a lot for mountain biking because you're more or less in a lot of situations you're required to in a lot of sp- uh, spots. So, for example, when you're climbing over technical terrain, sometimes staying seated is going to keep your body uh, connected to the bike more. So, therefore, if you're going over rough terrain, your body's going to get jostled around. It wastes energy because you're having to 
you know, bounce around and stabilize yourself with your bike, but it also makes it harder to be able to put down power consistently because right. you're weighting and unweighting the bike more because your body's going up and down. So when you can stand and separate your bike from your body, that lets you maintain traction. And, and honestly too, it gives you a little more leverage over the bike in most situations. So you can be more uh, precise about your line choice if it's like a technical section. So, and, and in some cases, man, you have to stand for quite a while in, in a mountain bike race. So I use it uh, pretty regularly and I use something pretty similar to what Chad does. If uh, I'm doing longer sweet spot intervals that, um, that don't have, uh, for example, it's, it may not be something that's really, you know, taxing for me. If it's a longer ride, then I like to do that because I like to kind of vary that and make sure that I'm keeping both blades sharp. Let me say one thing before Nate asks this question, um, with those, I call them 40, 20s, I should probably call them 20, 40 since I start with 20 seconds, but you don't even have to get out of the saddle. Sometimes I'll just slide forward under the nose of the saddle, spend mm. 20 seconds there and then slide back 40 seconds. It's kind of just so like bracketing the intervals. It's into really just varying it in some small way that, that keeps me, keeps me going. Well, too, some of the workouts we have, it'll be like 12 minutes, but it's broken up into like two minute sections with yes. up and downs mm-hmm. and it, the interval goes faster. Yeah, it does. I mean, it doesn't, just because it doesn't go faster, but it feels like it goes faster. Yeah. And for that reason, this is a total side note, but all those workouts where I've tacked on like 20 or 30 minutes of aerobic endurance, I will go in at some point and dress those up with drills or maybe even undulate the resistance. So there's some form of variety in there. Mm. Um, another thing, if you're standing up and a technical aspect, which I've read, I don't really know this because I'm very bad, but um, it also gives you the ability to do like a track stand or a little hop if you need to get a better line. Yeah, this isn't absolutely. so much in a race, but in a, a lot of trail riding, I've been watching a lot of videos. So yeah. Jonathan, I've seen you all the time in front of me, get out of the saddle and ride up like something steep. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels horrible and I never get out of the saddle if yeah. I'm climbing something and Same you do it all the time. I don't. And I don't know the correct way to mm. do it or... Like what, what do yeah, you do? Yeah, so when you say you feel horrible, you're, are you talking about just like imbalanced or unstable? Yeah, it feels like everything's squishy and moving around mm-hmm. and I feel not connected to the trail, like mm-hmm. the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. It just feels like everything suddenly got squirrely um, yeah. when I get out of the saddle. I think the one of the biggest things that helps me, and this is on road too, and you know, Chad, you actually do a really good job with the workout text in the workout. So sorry, once again, I mean, not, we always plug trainer row, but plug here, but um, you do a really good job in the workout text about making people pay attention to what they're doing when they're out of the saddle. Mm. What I've found to be the most helpful, Nate, for me when I am um, out of the saddle, especially on a mountain bike, because it does have suspension in most cases, is not putting much weight on my arms at all and not even having a lot of tension through my arms and through my hands. Unlike road. I think road, sometimes I, uh, I, I have some. No, I think anytime the weight shifts to your hands, it's coming off the pedals and that's the last thing you want. Yeah. And, and you're, you're much more stable when you can ride that bike with, you know, with the weight centered over that bike mm-hmm. and with your, your, your power just going through the legs. Your arms are just kind of there is just like loose anchor points. Almost. Tethers. You're They're right. Tethers. It's power over bottom bracket, which gives you the tr- more stability. Exactly. I mean, and that's what drives a bike. Also, one thing to think about that too, a lot of the time people feel unstable when they're standing. And I think that um, one thing that you can do to help with this is just some simple drills uh, for if you're riding and you feel unstable just standing out of the saddle or for an extended period of time or like when you're going hard, drop one, stand up, drop one pedal to the, to the like drop one to the side. So let's say drop your left pedal to all the way down to, to six o'clock. 
and then try leaning your bike away. So if you drop your left pedal to six o'clock, you just lean your bike to the right and then just try to stay in a straight line for a while and without pedaling, just coast and hold your bike over like that. And then go to the other side. You see little kids on BMX bikes or big kids on BMX bikes doing this coasting like that all the time. And it really does help make you a lot more comfortable and you learn to how to move your body more effectively when you're standing. And for mountain biking, that's so key because you know, your bike has suspension that's moving, then it's moving. It's like putting the earth on a BOSU ball, you know, underneath you, like everything is moving around. So it, a lot of it I think has to do with that, whether it's, you know, you're talking about firing patterns or, or balance or strength really in the end, I think it builds something unique. I think I just need to practice it too, because right now the, when I, when I, I haven't done it many times, but when I do it, it feels very foreign. Right. So that means I probably have to do it more because it is good. Like it's not considered bad technique. Not at all. I, all the, the Ryan Leach videos I'm watching, and I'm part of a mountain biking skills network on Facebook. Mm-hmm. The technical stuff, everyone's out of the saddle. Mm-hmm. They're standing up, and they're like, a lot of times too, which I'm trying to watch now because I know single track six is coming up, which is very technical. Yeah, is there'll be rocks, and people will pop a little bit. They're tired to get a better line track yep. stand, and then go through. Which right now, my strategy is I sit down and I just, it's pedal faster, yeah. get as much power and speed through it and just ride through. Yeah. Which has gotten me so far. Right. I think that's your strategy too. I mean, to, to a certain good. extent, yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and I think that line choice plays into that hugely. You know, always looking ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then just committing to that line helps. But, but yeah, I, th- I think that, so, I mean, I think that we've covered standing pretty yeah, extensively probably too much. Pretty well. <laughs> the one thing that I just want to go back to on this, because I'm sure some people will be thinking, well, well, Contador stands a lot. We mentioned Contador, and we see a lot of these guys stand a lot. And it has its place. If you haven't gotten that so far from what we've said, it has its place. Uh, you should be familiar with it. Don't leave it as like a foreign thing. Um, be comfortable out of the saddle just in case you need to use it at any point. And it can be really effective. So I find too that like it's, just to go back to it more, <laughs> if my quads are really, really tired, mm-hmm. getting out of the saddle can kind of give them a little bit of a rest. Yeah, and it's, use my a retard, it's just a shift in you know, what, yeah. what but, muscles being utilized. But usually when I do that, it's not a, um, my aerobic system isn't completely taxed. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's just so, a nice break. Yeah, exactly. So my there's there's room on my aerob- aerobic ceiling to like yeah. kind of put more power out and lose a little efficiency. And there is a, my... a bit of benefit from body weight. I mean, now you're standing, so assuming you keep your weight back and you're driving those pedals down, your body weight does contribute a bit if you're particularly yeah, fluid. Yeah, but you're picking your body up. Like you're not, yeah. you're, it's this, you're, mm-hmm. your body's not moving anywhere. So anytime your body goes down, I mean, your body's not actually moving. Right. So it, it, with just physics, you're not, getting any mechanical advantage. Right. Yeah. Like you would for the first pedal stroke, if you somehow stood up, you didn't have to pick yourself up and your right foot only went from the top 12 to six. Yeah. And it never came back up. Then you have to pick it up. Yeah, you got to pick it up. <laughs> Tricky, that <laughs> part. It's, it's physics. <laughs> <laughs> Julian, he says, hello, gents. Uh, first off, thank you for not only making my long commute tolerable, but educational. I am racing Epic Rides Whiskey Off-Road. That sounds fun, by the way. It's a... It, it's called the Whiskey Off Road. It's in Prescott, Arizona, and it's got the, the courses are cool. There's the 15 proof, the 30 proof, and then the 50 proof. So, pretty awesome race. Looks really cool. Um, anyways, he says it's in about a month and a half, and I'm doing it with my father-in-law. What training advice would you give a couple non-trainer owners to prepare? We have access to endless mountain bike trails, smooth roads on the road bike, and perfect weather here in Phoenix. By a trainer? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no. What would you, so what, what training advice would you recommend this, this course to give people an idea? It's, it's, um, 
there's single track, there's a good mix of fire road too. And the course has your, it's kind of like a loopish out and back where you kind of like make a loop. Then you do a long out and back over a mountain, long climb down a mountain, long descent, turn around and come back. So this isn't exactly like a, this isn't exactly like a normal XC race where it's just constant undulations. It's a little bit more consistent. So it depends how deep you want to go. Um, the most, so if say I'm not going to ride the trainer ever, I would buy, um, a power meter mm-hmm. and I would buy racing and training with the power meter mm-hmm. and I'd read that as, and that would be like my foundation. Mm-hmm. And then I would maybe read a whole bunch of other books about training and develop a training plan for yourself or hire a outside knowledgeable coach mm-hmm. to help you with power training. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to go the self-education. Yeah. Other than that, it's like, like if you take power out of the equation, it's tricky. It's very tricky, right? Yeah. Because it's like yeah. ride at an eight, you can, or you can do what I used to do, do when miles, I was, and it's different for everybody. Yeah, no, I lived in Carson City, and I would go up and ride a particular loop behind my house, up, mm-hmm. uh, just up in the field there. So I'd head up the road. It was the same course, and I just hit it a little harder each time, got a little faster each time. Mm-hmm. Very unscientific, but my fitness just went up, up, up. Did my first mountain bike race and crushed it. Yeah, if you're if this is like a going from zero type of a thing that you're not training, I think that introducing structure is just something you should look for. And like Nate said, if you get that book, if you have a power meter, then structure just gets, it's great. You have everything you need to be really structured. If you don't have that and you're just going to be going off of rate of perceived exertion, in other words, your one to 10 scale, everything else, uh, you can definitely find that. I, I like the recommendation that Chad said with using trails to structure things a bit, like a short loop. There has to be something in there that's consistent so you can chart some form of progress. Exactly. Well, you could do, yeah. um, so I think the next step, let's say you're not using power, you could do interval length mm-hmm. based on the time of season with RPE. Yep. And then you could also, to, to judge that, try to do like the distance up a hill. So yeah. you'd be very restricted to the hills you have and the weather you have on that day and the wind and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have like a two-minute a two minute climb and you're like, okay, two minutes. That means I can do a VO two max workout. So I'm going to try to do five intervals on, or yeah, five intervals. Maybe I start with three, Mm -hmm. try to get up that two minute climb the same time each time, but really deep, go really Mm -hmm. deep each time and get a good five minutes rest in between. And on the next time it's going to take me, I'm going to do it a minute and 55 seconds or a minute and 57 seconds. Slightly less and little by little. And hopefully it's not a windier day. Yeah. And the tricky thing about that too is, you know, balancing recovery with that. If you end up pushing yourself too hard, it can be tough, but that's really, I think that structure, true structure is something that is, can be really beneficial if you're starting from, from ground zero like so, that. So the next step, which I think is the last step that a lot of, well, not even the last step, but the next step, let's say I'm not doing intervals ever. I'm not buying a power meter. I'm not buying a trainer. Mm-hmm. So I think the next one is you have this loop. And every time, this is like a lot of people do this, I'm going to do this loop a little bit faster. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you're still pushing yourself. And that's exactly what I just yeah, described. I yeah. know. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's yeah. the... And it it it's works, less, but well, it, it, it works to work an extent. Yeah. You're not going to be a Cat 1 racer just nope. doing no, your mountain no. bike for loop not every likely. time. No, and it's got diminishing just... returns. It, 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 you know, it, it, with time, it'll pr- deliver less. The, one th- the last one mm-hmm. is just, I think, probably just, I'm just going to get some more miles. That's probably in the same... Band yeah, I'm not just sure I would recommend faster. it, but if that's you've got the time and you just want to build a big aerobic base, you will be surprised. You can race surprisingly well. I mean, you're not going to be the guy who mixes things up and is the, the threat on everybody's mind, right? But you'll probably finish your events. You can get the race done. And and one thing to consider with this too, with this race, you're going to have moments where you have spikes of of effort. 
but toward the end of this race, if you're doing the 50, uh, if you're doing whiskey 50, then it's a long day on a mountain bike. 50 miles is a long time. So if that's the case, man, toward the end of that, you're going to be hurting pretty good and it's just going to be a tiring endeavor. So, uh, yeah, you know, familiarizing yourself with, with, you don't have to replicate the exact duration or anything else like that, but familiarizing yourself with stretching your limits in terms of how long you could ride could be helpful too going into this. If it is indeed, you know, a step up from what you're used to. So uh, have fun, Julian. That sounds like a good race. Okay. Rick says, since you guys mentioned all these testing and body composition tests that you do, uh, that you can do, he says, if you had $300 to spend, what testing would you get done first or prioritize first? A lactate threshold test, VO2 test, or a DEXA scan? I want to buy speed and don't want to spend it on equipment. So what procedure would you get done first and why? And something to cover that I think he's kind of looking for, you know, which one, if we had to pick one, which one would we do? So. And two, a DEXA scan is a body fat analysis to let you know how much yeah. Yeah. body fat body, body and muscle mass. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Rick, it's easy for me, especially considering I have a power-based training background and I'm very familiar with all that. I, I would go with the DEXA scan. Um, the information you're going to get out of a lactate threshold test and VO2 max test are things you can glean elsewhere. And in order to track changes in those, you're going to have to go back to the lab every time. Same thing goes with the DEXA, but the information you can get from the DEXA, you can't get on the bike. You can't get uh, through training. You have to actually see how is my body composed? Where am I carrying fat? Am I carrying too much fat, et cetera? So in my opinion, um, the LT test and the VO2 are interesting, but they're mm-hmm. not going to change your training. Cause yeah, like, right. so now I know my VO2 max is, what was it? 61 or 62. Yeah. I don't even remember because yeah. it's not important. Right. So I'm not changing anything. It might depress you or yeah. it might is make my FTP going up and my racing better. VO2 max. Well, Dex is going to depress you too, but, um, so LT <laughs> test, this is a good example. So now. I know where my lactic threshold was, and it was my FTP. FTP test kind of replaces the LT test. But even if it didn't, it doesn't like, uh, unless I'm using blood on the bike and looking at how many millimoles I'm at. Like, Which is super easy, it, by the way. You just, you, know, you, can, you can do it. But, I man. could do it, but I have a power meter and super it just shows easy. the number. Just sit up and then prick your blood in the middle of yeah. the pack. No one will get upset at you at all. Don't worry no, about we're it. We're talking about like you're on a trainer doing a workout. You could actually do your own lactate threshold assessment. And Jonathan's are very interesting because it was he was so high and weird. Yeah. Um, and he probably has this high proportion of... Fast switch. fast switch, but we're he going to do a, Yeah, when we do our muscle biopsy, <laughs> we'll find we, out. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, true. But it doesn't like it. It hasn't changed his training no. or anything like that. I can't measure that when I'm riding on the bike. And even if I could, here's the interesting thing. So we we get a lot of uh, questions from people, and I, I personally get these questions. You know, um, do you use blood or the, you know, cause they make O2 sensors that you can use that they can, they make lactate sensors that you can use while you're on the bike. And a lot of companies are trying to make devices to do that. The, the reason that I'm not, that I'm still holding out on all that stuff. It's not that I don't believe in the science. It's, it's science. It's just, the thing is the structure and framework that you have with power and the ease of application that you have, because you're constantly seeing it when you're on the bike, you're seeing it when you're training, and the whole framework around it makes it really effective. Mm. Just a just a data point doesn't necessarily mean that it's you're going to get more effective. So just figuring out your VO2, just figuring out where your lactate threshold sits, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be more effective if you can't use that to actually be more effective. It's just yeah, a data point. It's yeah. fun stuff. It's just you need a. System. I argue that it's not terribly useful. The yeah. DEXA scan, in my view, is useful because mm-hmm. that's changed. That, so I, I took the DEXA scan. 
I was carrying too much body fat. And that I had an action then to say, hey, I'm going to reduce my body fat, which then improves my racing. Yep. And like Chad said, the power meter doesn't give me that. Mm-hmm. And the scale didn't give me that either. Right. Because I have now, um, two at the same time, the decks I like more than the scale is that I can really closely track how much muscle mm-hmm. I have and, and it tracks that. And that also is a mental and, thing that's that's nice. And that's super useful in the in the context of, say you lose 10 pounds and your performance is going down. You think, I just got lighter. Why am I not getting faster? Yeah. You go to a deck scan, you, you see that 10 of the, or eight of those pounds was muscle and two yeah. of those pounds were yep. fat. Yeah, Dex exactly. scan tells you that. The, the only thing Chad said that I don't agree with that is useful is where you're carrying the fat because you can't spot, a lot of people think you can do this, but you can't spot remove fat. So you're like, oh, I have belly fat. So I'm going to do like the classic one is I'm going to do crunches to move the belly fat. Zap it off. Exactly. You can't <laughs> control where you, to, yeah. yeah. to an extent, like cortisol levels, you have high cortisol levels, you do put more right. fat around it. So if you can kind of be less stressed, but while you're exercising, there's not an exercise that you do that re- removes fat from no, one but, spot. But what I was talking about there is when I looked at my, I think my third DEXA scan, I had lost more weight, but all of it had come from my upper body. So I knew mm. it wasn't, I, it was just interesting to me. I'm not, yeah. It's, yeah. maybe not the, useful. The other thing that's nice is in the DEXA scans that we do, there's a ratio between body fat um, above the waist and below the waist for men. Mm-hmm. And if that ratio is over, I think 1.0, I forget what the actual name, it's like android and, and gynoid, gynoid, gynoid yeah, ratio, but you have a higher risk of heart disease. So mm-hmm. that then, when I first saw that, I was at the higher risk, even though I was like, mm-hmm. not fat guys. Yeah. Like, yes. like walking around, I, I, you'd say I'm skinnier than 99% right. of you're the population. You're skinny, Nate. We get it. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. No, I'm not saying I'm... <laughs> so, so basically you're carrying fat around the midsection and that has a higher correlation to heart disease. Exactly, yeah. yep. So, so that's, another, that, that's a very interesting takeaway, right? Thing. Like mm-hmm. That's extremely useful. Here's why I say that DEXA is the best one to do. I agree with everything that's been said, but the best part is it's cheaper than the other two in most cases. And it's easier. Doesn't and it's hurt. easier. It takes, it, it usually takes, uh, like I'm talking, walk into the place, walk out 20 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, and it can be very motivating. It if, really can. Things are oh. trending the way you want them it's to. It's either motivating or depressing. <laughs> yeah. One of the two. <laughs> it's one of the two. It's, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes motivating and depressing. Yeah. So I think that that's another thing is it's just more accessible in terms of cost, uh, time cost, and also just monetary, you know, outlay. and you can, so you can say, I, I don't know what the correct answer is here, but in your mind, you can say, for, for me, I want to hit a DEXA body fat scan about 10%. Mm. I think that's a maintainable lifestyle for me. Mm-hmm. I'll look great. I'll be a good ratio on the bike. I think we've read that Froome got as low as four, yeah. which seems... Seems crazy. Yeah, and he's a professional athlete. And like, and he is paper thin. But When you get so low, yeah. too, it can affect your hormones, and you can get in these bad states. And they've yeah. talked about people with too low a body fat yeah, not dude. performing well. So for me, 10% on DEXA, which will probably be like a 6% body fat with the calipers. So that's very slim. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, would be nice. But see, helpful. at that point, you won't have to guess anymore. You'll just be able to look at your body and know yeah, your you lean as you're going to get. get. feel for it. Let's go into Sarah's question. She says, I've only been listening for a few weeks now, so sorry in advance that this question has already been asked. As a full-time student who also works a semi-physically demanding part-time job, there are many days where my t- where, whereby the time I finally get home, get my bike set up, and have time to ride, it's almost already 9 or 10 p.m., and I'm exhausted and drained. At what point is it worth it to stay up late and get your workout in and lose out on sleep or... When you sh- when should you skip a workout in favor of getting a full night's sleep? I know the easy answer would be to go to bed and get up early, <laughs> but five to six a.m. wake up call is a hard is hard when my school work day doesn't end until after nine p.m. 
Yeah, we, I'm sure we'll all have input on this, Sarah, but that's a very tough situation to be in. And my girlfriend is a veterinarian, same situation. I mean, she wants to work out every day. She has those aspirations, but she comes home and she's so tired. You got to question whether or not getting on the bike is even productive, especially if it comes at the expense of your sleep. So I, I don't have an easy answer here for you, except that kind of what you suggested, and that's prioritize your workout, get it done and out of the way. And then what comes the rest of the day is what it is. Hopefully that wouldn't influence your bedtime. It's, it's just a difficult situation, but you do have to account for the fact that training adaptation, you know, you do the training and then your body responds to that training. It's not going to be, it's going to be a blunted response if you're not sleeping, not allowing your body to absorb that stress. And if you're heaping extra stress on it over the course of the day, I, I just don't see a real benefit taking place. I've also, we've also talked about doing that late night workout and then going to sleep right away. Bumping up cortisol, yeah. bumping up, uh, it's, it's disturbs not a, your, it can be tricky. It doesn't it make disturb, for good sleep. Yeah, so even if you're going to get a bunch of sleep, it's not going to be high quality as high quality anyway. I always err on that, on, on the side that we're hinting at here. I always err on go, go to bed, get a good night's sleep. So then I can train tomorrow. And I'm, I'm talking about I, I try to keep the long game in mind. I basically look at this and I think, okay, I can do this tonight, but then if I do it again and I do it again and I do it again, am I going to be amassing too much fatigue? Am I going to be able to recover from this? Is sleep going to help me? And so that's the tough thing. You know, like you said, the five to 6 a.m. wake up call is really tough. Um, but if there's other ways that, that you can structure things in, in some way so that you can fit it in in the morning, great. If not, if you can squeeze it in midday. And, and maybe that means trimming your, your uh, workout schedule down from maybe it's five days, trim it down to three. Maybe there's 60-minute workouts, trim them down to 45-minute or 30-minute workouts. That way you're still doing something, still getting some intensity, still not burying yourself in fatigue at the onset of your day. I mean, Sarah, too, they, this is not what the answer should, this is not the answer you're going to like, but if you move your bedtime um, up an hour, it's way easier mm-hmm. to get up an hour earlier. Yeah. So you're, it's, you're, it's kind of like you're saying, I'm, I have to, if you think you have mm-hmm. to stay up till 11 o'clock at night and you're like, well, I'm going to do my workout then at 930 and then I have to go to bed at 11 and then, you know, so I can't get up at five or six, so I go to bed at 11. Well, if you go to bed at 10, it is, and you keep doing that. I'm, I've done that. It's mm-hmm. yeah. it's easier to yeah. get up early. It's a than, shift. And it, and it, it, there's an act of life, or, you know, yeah. lifestyle change. It is. It's exactly that. How bad do you want it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the I guess the last thing that I would just reinforce here, Chad said, you know, dropping down possibly the workout durations or anything else. One thing that if you're if you're scrambling and you're frustrated with not being able to complete, you know, the workouts that you have scheduled, if uh, I if you can just get as much of the workout done as you can, if you're really crunched on time. Um, and because it's certainly better than nothing. Uh, you know, if you're just going to be looking at it and you keep beating yourself up mentally over missing your training and you just don't train at all, if you can just get in as much as you can. Yes. So. And I've done that where I, I ended early cause a busy guy and I only have 45 minutes and you get on the trainer and you know, you have to stop. Yeah. It's better to end it than to be like, oh, I can't do the full hour. So I'm just going to skip the no whole thing. There's no shame in that. I yeah. can't tell you how many workouts I've ended early. And sometimes it's just because I'm tired, but a lot of the times it's just because that's all the time I have or you know something came up mid-workout. Right. That's life. That's how it works. Shane asks, how does the app work with the unplugged option on the Tax Neo? He says, unfortunately, my first unit was defective out of the box, waiting for the replacement so I can get started. I plan to use it for race warmups as well and was wondering on the plug out option. Yeah, so the Neo's cool. You can um, you don't have to be plugged in for it to work in erg mode or send out data. But the thing that trips people up is you have to be pedaling for it to d- display. So if you like want to have your um, phone detect it, you have to start pedaling. Yes. 
Yes. And then as soon as you stop pedaling, it stops broadcasting all data because that's you're powering the device. Yeah, so it's really smart. That's I like a that a lot. Real smart design. Yeah, and I that. feel like I feel like it's probably down the road more of that's going to be happening. Mm-hmm. And I haven't used the Neo for warmups because I kind of am scared to bring such a fancy, expensive because it's not my trainer; it's Trainer Road's trainer. So I'm always terrified that something's going to break on it or something, right? Um, but that is like the ultimate warm-up option is to have one that you don't have to plug in. It's pretty all, cool. All of your trainers are Trainer Road trainers. That's true, actually. <laughs> and you've no, taken thousand-dollar no, trainers. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, the kicker I have. I guess yeah. the Neo just feels more fancy for some reason. But we have um, less of them. Yeah, that's true. We only true. have one Neo. So if you that's break true. that Neo, we're, we're in, in trouble. We're in yeah, trouble. we got to. Well, we have to wait to get a new one. Yeah, I do have. I do have two trainers that are one hundred percent mine. I have a wind trainer and I have a mag trainer. Do you use them? No. Why would you? <laughs> I mean, when you got these sort of options, why would you? Exactly right. Yeah, I used it when um, I was They're doing better a, than nothing, but... I was doing a workout and uh, the power went out at Trainer Road. So mm. it's like, oh, I get to test the no power option. That's and awesome. It, yeah, it worked. Works great. It's pretty cool. Uh, David says, uh, we had quite a divided Facebook discussion about this. Uh, and it seems to be split between the opportunistic masters that say train when you can and the more disciplined and structured young and non-parents he says, I would love to hear your thoughts though. During a set workout, for an example, he says a longer run, train rider, etc. If you're feeling good early to mid-workout, do you change the workout to be longer, harder, more intense, etc.? In other words, do you just finish the planned workout and take a feeling or t- and take feeling good as a win? Or do you change mid-workout and try to push more gains in that particular session? Uh, he asked, does the latter risk jeopardizing the next workouts too much? Does the answer depend on where you are in, in your program, uh, closer to or further from the race day, et cetera? We'd be keen to hear your thoughts, opinions, and evidence. I have, a, I have an opinion. So do I. <laughs> you, go you go first, Chad. Okay. Go ahead, Chad. <laughs> All right. um, I, I understand why this is dividing you, because there's strong arguments on both sides of this. Um, what you're describing, I think, David, is, is uh, what Matt Fitzgerald, I'm not sure if he coined the phrase or if he's one of many coaches who uses it, but it's responsive training. And it's basically on the days you feel good, you push it a little bit. On the days you feel bad, you back things off a little bit. So it's, it's kind of that whole uh, make hay while the sun is shining sort of thing. You're feeling good. Why not exploit that? Why not push things? to, to a, a further extent and hopefully reap greater uh, training adaptation because of it. But you also have to consider the longer picture. Is that going to throw off your training, you know, the, the next workout or the next week, or maybe this is the start of a three week block and you're feeling super good. So you hit it super hard, but then the rest of the block suffers because of it. So uh, like I said, you can see both sides of it. I do find it hard that on the days that I'm feeling really good to not go a little bit extra, but I don't bury myself. So my opinion is it really depends on your lifestyle. There are people who are not like, I want to say control of your schedule. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are in control of their schedules, but if you're not, so if you, let's say you have, I'm going to use Justin Rossi as a firefighter, as an example, his day off, he'd be training, say he feels really good. He, he, he's an advanced athlete. He's going to go a little bit extra. Then let's say he's got three days at the firehouse Mm -hmm. and he knows that he probably can train each three days, but there's no guarantee. It might yeah. be taken away. He might be up for three days. Mm-hmm. So, and he's an, an advanced enough athlete that he's not going to bury himself. Like, if he does a little bit more, then he knows if he can train. He uh, knows he tra- can come back from it. Well, in those three days, he's adjusting his plan a little bit. So, mm-hmm. if he went really hard on Tuesday and he's working thir- Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the firehouse, maybe that first Wednesday workout instead of an interval workout is now going to be a little bit less aerobic. Yeah. But 
if it did take, if he had, he was on calls the whole time, stayed up the whole yeah. night, then he would just skip it. Mm-hmm. But right? his experience helps him self-correct. I mean, if this is something you're not super good at doing, then you might just basically start things off uh, at a too demanding level and then still try to hang on regardless of what your body's telling you after the fact. So I would say if you're not, like let's say you're using trainer and doing a plan and you're not one of the um, more advanced athletes that kind of really can listen to their body, and let's say you're on mid-volume plan and you're not in control of your schedule, if and it changes all the time, like you might be taken away, mm. I would then on the days that you can train, just move around the interval workouts. You're still, you're almost on low volume. And then if you can, like the days that your schedule gets changed, then you fill in your TSS Yeah, fillers. absolutely. That's exactly So you can do the, the most, prioritize the most important stuff. Yeah. yeah, scheduling aside, and I know that that's not realistic, but scheduling aside, this is why I love power-based training and using your threshold to structure your training because the one thing that I always I always tell myself is stick to the plan, stick to the plan, stick to the plan because I'm I tend to get a little over anxious or eager when I'm training and I think oh I could make more improvements but I've dug myself into holes numerous times with that and I've mm-hmm. I so granted and once again scheduling aside right but that's that's one thing that I take a lot of confidence in as long as I have an accurate fix on my FTP. I know that training is doing what it should be doing to me. And as long as I'm following a good training plan. Yeah. So you can use training stress. Exactly. And and I kind of know more or less where I can handle and keeping in mind, like we've talked about recently, not all training stress is, is alike, you know, and not, it's, it's not all created equal, but that's how I, I, I know I can have confidence in the plan that I'm doing the right thing and it's going to pay off come my A race day. So if you, that said, that's scheduling aside. If you added an extra, let's say 50 or 100 TSS on a day, you felt really good, which Mm -hmm. would be a lot of TSS, Mm -hmm. then you know that has to come out of somewhere else. Exactly. It's like I'm, I'm keeping a balanced checkbook. I'm not just trying to throw as much cash into that account, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to keep it balanced because I'm looking at that, that constant trade off between recovery and, and work. So yeah, but great suggestions on the, you know, if your workouts aren't guaranteed, you might have to make some adjustments. That happens to me with like, I have my workouts planned at trainer road, mm-hmm. but it could get into a busy day. Some, there could be a problem mm-hmm. and I just don't get to work out. So, right. Uh, try oh, to prioritize it. There's more to David's question too. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah. He says, uh, he says the question comes from a recent workout I did. He says, I felt pretty good on a scheduled 90 minute run. So I pushed the pace a bit and extended to about a hundred minutes to get a full half marathon, marathon race distance in. But the last kilometer or so got really tough, and recovery afterwards was slow. Uh, so in his specific situation, he says, was it a mistake to push the extra 10 minutes or to push the pace a bit? Re- uh, race day is six weeks off, and I'm at the end of the base period. I mean... It, I'm going to say yes in this situation. Yep. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, first time I read that, I thought he said he was six days off, so I had a very different answer, locked and loaded. But, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a good example of it for there's a good example for you. You know, what did it do to the subsequent training? It looks like it's kind of derailed it a bit, which can be pretty demotivating and mm-hmm. kind of set you back. In this situation, the trade off is where I'm having the problem. So, an extra ten minutes. Mm-hmm made his recovery slower and he might have missed an entirely another run. Yeah, there are a lot a lot of athletes and coaches who support the whole notion of feeling like you can do just a little bit more. Every workout you finish, you leave leave a little bit left. And I, I think it's a, a a good philosophy. Yeah, and, and one thing that I always think of too, I'm 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 good at doing the work part. I'm really good at that. I'm 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 good there. I can suffer through it, but I'm not good at the recovery part. 
And I, I, I get faster when I can absorb that's that work. Case. And that's most people's case. We have know? a bunch of tart cherry juice in the uh, fridge. <laughs> we do. Just that's drink right. gallons. Just all it takes, it. man. Just cherry juice. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't just drink cherry We're juice. We're joking. Um, yeah. Uh, Dustin, he says, I've been a couch potato for 15 years or so. I'm 70 pounds overweight. I bought a bike because I always liked riding as a kid. And today I rode for the first time in over 15 years. I rode 0.9 miles, not even one mile. Uh, he was very specific there. And my legs hurt and felt stiff and I felt dizzy-ish. Is this normal? Is there anything I can do to make it more enjoyable or less painful? Uh, I need to lose weight and get healthy again. Please help. You guys are both looking at me. Is this because he's overweight? I don't know. Um, I'm going to say, yes, if you are, it is amazing how like low you can go. And if you're 70 pounds overweight, the, the amount of watts that you're putting out, the power you're putting out, is way more than like someone who's like Jonathan, who's a skinny mini, right? right? Like, so you're doing more work and yes, it hurts the first time. I remember trying to, uh, my first, so I was in college doing weightlifting and I was like, I met a guy at a bar and he said he was going to do an Ironman. I'm like, I'm going to do an Ironman. So I went out and ran one mile and what you usually do, (laughs) um, when you're, when you're new to this is that one mile is all out. You start out you so sprint. hard, yeah, and oh. and you because you have no, you haven't um, gone, you haven't figured out how to ju- to meter perceived effort as you're mm-hmm. running. And I'm guessing that same thing happened to you. I bet if you had a slower pace, you would have gone way more than one mile, easy, no problem. Yeah. So it, it's totally normal, and you probably went really super hard for one mile. Um, and, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. The key is just to be consistent totally and to do it. Yep. Yep. And keep doing it. Yeah. Keep doing it and keep elevating the demand. Even if that means next week you go one mile, but yeah. the fact is you got to start somewhere and you've had a long layoff and you're overweight. So it's going to be a, a, a bit of an uphill battle for a while, but it's, not, it's not a battle you can't, can't win. It's pretty cool that you took the step, you know, like that's, and I think that one thing to, to add on with this I mean, no matter what it is, if you spend a lot of time off like this, it's, and then you're, you're in a state that isn't, you know, in this case, athletic, but, and if you take time off of anything, even if it's just a mental endeavor like that, it takes time. But the one thing that I think a lot of people, uh, fear and perhaps they don't, or that they don't consider after that really harrowing experience of coming back on the bike for the first time in a long time, it does come back I'm not going to say it's going to come back tomorrow, but you'll, you'll notice that you're able to ride longer and it might even surprise you how quickly you can. So, um, granted you're not going to go out and do a century tomorrow, but yeah, it's easier to come back to a previous fitness level after a break yep. than to break through to new fitness levels. Yeah. Um, agreed. Dustin, you're in for like a really good, like so many wins, personal wins. If you only compare yourself to yourself, Yes, I would get a DEXA scan. Obviously, I would. I mean, I believe in trainer road instructor training, but you can, like, you can get a whole bunch of power improvements quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get DEXA scans so you can lose fat quickly. And as long as you're not looking at somebody like Jonathan, who's or someone else who goes from like three two seventy to three thirty FTP, and you're like, crap, I'm at sixty. Yeah. Which a lot of people start at sixty. Like, yep. yeah, like we don't talk about it on the podcast enough. I think that. Yeah. You know, other people like, oh, I started at 200 and and then someone else goes, oh, I'm like 50 or 60. That's very, very possible, especially if you haven't done aerobic training. Oh, yeah. Um, Don't feel bad about it. And it doesn't, that too, if you start at 60, it doesn't mean you can't get to 300. My first time, so when I I grew up as a kid riding bikes like every other kid, uh, BMX bikes and stuff, but I did not ride a bicycle for a long time. 
and my first time actually riding a bike. So tracking back from my current, you know, time in riding, I went out with a group of boy scouts and it was a mountain bike ride. And we had to climb up to a lake called Marlette Lake up Mm -hmm. above Lake Tahoe. And I was walking that bike, like, oh. I mean, like... Who had a camera? <laughs> I would love to see that. I was walking the bike and just in in, in a, a, a whole state going up this thing. And little kids were, like, riding by with no hands, uh-huh. throwing peanuts at each other, just, like, screwing around. And I and I was just hurting walking up. So, it, it yeah, it's everyone starts. You can, you can also be a really well-conditioned athlete, just totally. not a really aerobically conditioned athlete. Because I tried to run a studio in a CrossFit gym. Him, nobody was interested because they would come in and they would do some form of fitness assessment and see that they were miles behind yeah. you know, people who just that, weren't very that, fit, but they were more a, aerobically fit. That a, the part that bugs me with CrossFit is that they say they're the fittest athletes on earth. I have no problem with CrossFit besides that saying. Mm. Yeah. And you would get people in there. I remember that you have your watts per kilo up there and there'd be these skinny people up there at 4.5 and then a CrossFit guy would come in and be like 1.2. Yeah. And they're like, I'm the fittest is guy There's a guy who can put 300 pounds over his head, but he yeah. can't pedal at two watts a kilogram for more than five minutes. Right. Yeah. So it's all... I, I'm perfect. It's like you're training for CrossFit and that type of exercise, which is fine, but mm-hmm. you're not the fittest person on earth. <laughs> like, you know, something you mentioned, Nate, about, you know, not feeling bad about the big power numbers that you hear. Uh, Sarah actually uh, had a question on this. She says, hello, gents. As oh, can I say one more thing about Dustin? Yeah, please. To Dustin, you, if, if you're new to the podcast, another thing that's very important from it's motivating as, as you train for fitness, you'll be able to burn more calories per hour as you get more fit. Yep. Exactly. I think in general, a magazine will say swimming is this many calories per hour running Mm -hmm. is this many calories per hour. It's not that it's how much power you're putting out and the kind of how fast you go. So much work you're doing. Exactly. For you though, because you're overweight, your power output's going to be higher than, so don't look at speed. It's going to be power. So as you and, the, and what you can do is look at your kilojoules, and that's going to be just about how many calories you burn. But for you, too, you might be burning more calories in kilojoules because I'm guessing you're going to be way less efficient than most right. cyclists like mm-hmm. who are trained. For a while. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for a while. So Sarah says, hello, gents. As a female listener, it's pretty deflating listening to the huge power numbers you guys put out. Uh, would you please provide... Sorry about me. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> would you please provide a good power number range for the females out there? At five foot three and 110 pounds, my heart rate is always higher than my watts. I've raised my FTP from 133 to 139 over the course of Sweet Spot Base 1 and 2 with an FTP test scheduled in the next week. Uh, which at this point she might've already taken it. So, but if not, good luck, Sarah. Uh, she says with the warm weather we had this spring in the Midwest, the training program got a little derailed, but I definitely felt more powerful out on the road. And the guys I ride with were quite surprised looking forward to some ego boosting numbers. Thank you for the five-star podcast. You know, for, first of all, don't pin your ego to, to those numbers. The fact that you went out and you were quite surprised riding with these guys, that right there was a, is a big win. Yeah. Um, when it comes to comparing men to women, if you look up like the power profiling chart and I've, I've kind of relied on this, uh, it's typically about a watt per kilogram difference. I mean, that doesn't hold steady from two watts a kilogram up to five, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's about the difference. I mean, like a guy who can work at four watts a kilogram, the female equivalent is about 3.4. And this is just uh, Andy Coggins power profiling chart and you can't put everything behind the power numbers. It still comes down to performance, right? But the fact is there is a disparity. So knock it down roughly a watt a kilogram and that can give you, uh, that maybe at least gives you some basis. To she, two, it's, it's power to weight ratio. So your power to weight ratio, if you take thing. your pounds and put in kilograms, you're at 2.8. Yeah. 
which for a woman is respectable. Is, yeah, that's like 3.3. 3. And I think right now, I'll tell you right now. Uh, right now with my injury, I think I'm like around 3.3 3 with my at, but I'm a lot heavier. I'm at like 180 and I think 270. And I don't even know if that's my FTP right now because so it's been 2. going 2.8 for a woman on the power profiling chart is 3.3 3 for a man. I yeah. mean, that's, those are solid numbers. So in a triathlon yeah. at 3.3, 3, I am being bigger. That's, that's like m- m- almost not front pack, but upper mid pack. Yeah. So yeah, it's doing well. Yeah. So she's actually pretty strong. It's the power to weight. And one thing that we, you know, a lot of the time people mention their power numbers, but they don't mention their weight. And just in the questions that they send in, they'll, they'll, they'll share that. So we read it out cause they're excited about their improvements, but it's all once again, relative to your weight. For and the most part. Yeah. I mean, unless you're yeah. going to do dead flat races all the time and you're just, you've got a 400 yeah. watt threshold and you're packing around 250 pounds that may work in that very limited instance, but in general, <laughs> uh, one problem is where the power to weight kind of breaks down for, as Chad said, with racing, like you wouldn't go into a, a, a crit with a bunch of men or, or maybe even heavier women because where raw power can yeah, make raw a, power a big, on the big flat. factor, but on a hill climb, they'll do great. Exactly. Yeah. You'll crush. Exactly. So yeah. that's probably those people you're riding with. <laughs> like for my wife, for example, she's, um, around a hundred pounds and she's got a, a high FTP of, I think she just changed it to 180. She can't keep up with me or other people on the flats at all. Mm-hmm. But on a hill climb, she's actually has a higher power weight ratio than me. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. Um, or maybe she, I don't know. I've done the math. Maybe now with my injury before yeah. I was, but but she is like going up the hill, no problem. Right. Um, and and just to share, like so, I guess some other power n- numbers. Like, and I'm sure my wife won't mind me saying that she hasn't been training for quite a while. But when she was training um, before she had the baby, she started out at 94 for FTP, and she worked her way up after a sweet spot base one and two. She got up to 116 and then i think her final ftp test after a build was like 124 my wife started out at 70 so yeah so it's normal to see i know that a lot of the time you know we we aren't reading these these questions out because the numbers are impressive we're just reading them out because what they are and a lot of men are cyclists and a lot of men tend to be tend to weigh more so that's that's it's normal to see don't feel bad when you hear the big numbers uh let's go into the last question for today mike he says First, thanks for all the hard work. I've been using Trainer Road for two years now and love it. Always hear, I always hear lots of kudos for the platform and the podcast, but I want to thank you for the workout creator tool. I'm working with a triathlon coach who is very structured workouts, so I quickly plug them into the workout creator. And since I'm riding an ERG trainer, I know I'm going to nail the workout as the weather clears. Sing it. Or as, as, no, I know I'm going to nail the workout. Yeah, good stuff. That's a good way to use it, by the way. Uh, he says, as the weather clears and I start to do some of the workouts outdoors, he says, I'll likely continue to do at least half of my stuff indoors. He says, I'm wondering if you have any tips for hitting power targets outdoors, since I won't be able to just let my trainer force me to do it. I use vector pedals and I'm open to changing around my screens on my head unit, but I'm wondering if you have any pacing tips. Again, thank you for all you do and a big shout out to the workout creator. So holding or hitting your targets outside. Yes, yeah, so this is a super important transition to make, Mike, is going from indoors and being locked into a load and being able to replicate that outdoors at your own volition. It's now up to you. You have to be able to do this. Um, so how you get there, uh, we, we've all got input on that, I bet. But uh, my advice is simply to find the most controlled environment you can. Uh, it, typically, hills work best, uh, especially if it's a long, uh, relatively mild grade, something three, mm-hmm. four, maybe 5%. Um, but basically you're looking for minimal interruptions and disruptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my advice is to put on power smoothing on your head unit because, um, 
what you don't want to do is look down at your power meter every second, like you can stare at when oh, you're yeah. inside. Yeah. And then um, I, I, I recommend not even trying to hit power intervals unless you're on a hill because when you're going 25 and you're trying to do a hit a power interval, unless it's a so hard. Well, just for safety, unless the road's yeah. completely That's gone. That's what I mean, so difficult. Yeah, and there's like it's a new development or something, or and there's no cars and no potholes. You're looking down there, but when you're when you're climbing and you're going seven miles per hour, the it's, things don't come at you as fast, and you can look down and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that hills are good for that reason too, with the safety. The other thing I would recommend, and a lot of people always ask, like. Should I, you know, if I start out an interval and I start out too hard or I start out too easy, should my goal be to finish that interval with my average power, you know, at the mark of what it should have been? And we've given a lot of advice on this on you just try to hit your marks for the time that you're in that, that moment, right? Then that's when you look at it. And that can be tricky when you're riding outdoors because you can't just be looking at your head unit. Um, but I, I think that it's still, it's definitely worth, worth, you know, worth just considering that you can still have average power on there on your screens. If you want to see that or normalize power for the lap, whatever you have. Mm-hmm. But I, I really do. I, I subscribe heavily to the thought of every second during that interval, just try to be close to whatever target you should be at. Don't worry about dragging averages in one direction or another. And then the last thing I would say is if you're riding a smart trainer inside, a lot of the time you might, uh, you might have a, a falsely inflated ego on your ability to maintain perfectly smooth power. <laughs> it happens. And if you go outside, you see things vary and they'll vary a lot because you're encountering constantly varying road surfaces, everything else. So don't freak out with that. Once again, I know all of us use three second power smoothing, right? Nate, you said three, Chad. Three, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't use any more and it's anything more than that. And it's effective for us. So power smoothing, consistent roads, find a, find a hill if you can, that's consistent. That'll cover it. Thanks everybody for submitting your questions. You can do so at trainerroadcom slash podcast. Uh, we will answer more of your questions next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. I didn't even have to eat. <laughs>